want to start back in the Old Testament, if I can, a really fascinating verse. Uh, back in Isaiah 6, uh, there's a prophet named Isaiah, and he has this incredible, it's either a, a, a real-life experience, it's a vision. It would be like one of those out-of-body experiences people might describe today. And here's what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, that's an angel, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, his glory fills all the earth. The doorposts and the thresholds shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am a man, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What an amazing vision here, and we could go, I don't have time to go in to describe all the elements here that just really make this just an an amazing thing for Isaiah to witness, but we can summarize how great this is by Isaiah's response. What is his response? Woe is me, for I am ruined. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, what does he mean when he says, I am ruined in this instance? Well, it could simply be that as he stood before this incredible holiness and glory of God, all of his brokenness, all of his ugliness, all of his sinfulness, all of his fleshliness, everything that just was him was so exposed before the glory of God that he said, boy, I am just ruined. And it could be that, but you know what I think it really is? I think what he was really saying here is he he was expressing something that a few others in the Old Testament at different occasions had expressed. And it goes back to something God told Moses years earlier, hundreds of years earlier. So Isaiah's ruined when he was in, in, the, in, in, in the presence of God and his glory. But why? Well, here's, here's what it says in Exodus 33, 20. Simple verse. God told Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And there are a few people in the Old Testament who had encounters with God and they said, oh, well, I'm a dead man. I just saw, I just saw God. You can't see God and live. Now, understand the, the context here. God is not saying, if you look at me, I will zap you dead. That's not what God's saying. God is saying, I am so full of glory, so full of holiness, so full of splendor and wonder, you cannot handle looking at me. You cannot handle to see my glory. It will kill you. That's what he's saying. And so Isaiah says, whoa, I'm ruined. I have just seen the glory of God. I think Isaiah really plausibly thought he was a dead man. He thought he was a dead man. He had just saw the glory of God. No one can see the glory of God and live. Now, here's the thing. God never let any, anyone see his glory like that because no one ever died in those instances. They all thought they were, but they never did because God always protected people from seeing the fullness of his glory. Now, <clears throat> What does that have to do with the gift of Jesus and Christmas? Well, let's go to the New Testament and go to what will be a key text today in the Gospel of John. 
Isaiah's amazing vision, you cannot see the face of God and live, so keep this in mind, keep, keep this experience that Isaiah had in mind and how he was just captivated by all this glory. And we go to John chapter one, three verses, one, 14 and 18. John one, one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, simply telling us that Jesus is God. We worship a God who is a trinity, a God in three pe- people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are uh, distinct personalities, but they are one God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The full implication here, when Jesus became flesh, because he is fully God, that God became flesh. And then down to verse 18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him know. Jesus is the glory of God. In fact, here, we can summarize it here. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the God that Isaiah saw back in in Isaiah chapter 6 there, the God that said, or Isaiah said, I'm ruined. And this is who Jesus is. He is God in flesh. The flesh. Here's a big idea that kind of summarizes. Jesus is the glory of God revealed in the frailty of human flesh so as not to ruin us. So that we can come encounter with God. We can walk and talk and fellowship with God that, that we can have a relationship with God that we can see into the face of God and then not ruin us. How amazing is that? What a gift that really, really, really is here's the reality jesus allows us to understand god to see god and and there may be things think about this there are things that when we look into the glory of god like isaiah did there are some things about god we might miss and i could give you a whole bunch of them this morning but i'm just going to give you two of them two simple things that when you look at god in all of his glory it would be very easy to miss and so the first one is is this jesus helps us understand the humility of god we look in Jesus, we see the humility of God. The reality is that, that uh, the, the, the God that Isaiah saw there, that, 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 that garnered all of this attention by the angels and it was this mag- magnificent moment and he said, whoa, I am ruined. That God is a very humble God. And I think that's a tough concept for us to wrap our heads around. Here's the reality. When you think about the Christmas story, it's wrapped up in humility. From the, from the humble little town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born to the hospital room he was born in, which was really a, a, an, an animal stall. Really, it was at the shepherd's tower. We've talked about that the last couple of years, the shepherd's tower where they raised and bred the Passover lambs. That's literally where Jesus was born, into that setting. His parents Mary and Joseph, just humble, ordinary, everyday people. In fact, listen to Mary's testimony. She's told she'll be the mother of Jesus. This is her response. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was a very humble person, ordinary, everyday, just like you and me. And she was like blown away. Why would I be called to be the mother of the Messiah? Christmas is wrapped up in humility. At the same time, Jesus is wrapped up in humility from his birth because he's born in this very humble fashion, very humble setting, very humble surroundings and circumstances. He's wrapped up in humility because of his life. He lived a life of basically humble service. He says, I came to be a servant. 
Not to, not to be served, but to serve. And that's the way he lived his life for 33 years. And then, of course, his death. Jesus died one of the most humiliating deaths a person could die. And he hung on that cross and they mocked him and made fun of him and spit on him. Jesus is wrapped up in humility. And Jesus is God. And Jesus shows us some things about God we may not see if we were to see just his glory as Isaiah did. We might miss out on how humble, the humble reality of who God really is. Really, 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 really humble God. Now, let me give you just a a real simple uh, application, powerful application for our life today. What this looks like in our life. Tomorrow morning we get up and we go to school, we go to our jobs, we go wherever we go, and and here's what you need to know about in real life. When we are humbled before God, God then exalts us. When we are humbled before God, when we give worship God the worship he deserves and the worship he is due, God actually exalts us. Listen to what, listen to what, Mary goes on to say in Luke chapter one here. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And now listen to what she goes on to say. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And every year we celebrate, really in in some degree, we celebrate the Christmas story and we tell the story of Mary and the story of Joseph and the story of the shepherds and the story of the wise men. All of those who were humbled at the Christmas story and they came and they bowed their knees before this little baby and worshiped him and they've been exalted now the last 2,000 years and we tell their story. She goes on in verse 52, he has brought down, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. If you humble yourself before God, God will exalt you. Now, what does that mean though, really in practical terms? What does that really mean in practical everyday terms? It means this, well, here's Mary again. She humbled herself before God and was subsequently exalted by God. And that will be true in your life. It's true in any life. It's true because there's this kind of this natural consequence that plays out when we worship God. Anybody that chooses to use their life to worship God and to humble themselves before God, this, this idea of being exalted is just a natural consequence. Here's the reality. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And here's what it means to us practically. Whatever we worship, elevates or detracts from our worth. Whatever we worship elevates or detracts from our worth. Let me give you a great example. You could take a simple old picture frame and it's cheap and it's ordinary and it's not very, it's not worth much. Just a humble little picture frame and you could use that picture frame and you could frame a Van Gogh, right? And hang it in some museum and what just happened to the value of that picture frame? Well, it just got elevated. And they might sell that picture for millions of dollars with that simple little picture frame because of what's inside of it. Same thing as reverse because the reality is, we know this, right? This principle works in reverse. You know that if you humble yourself before God, you're exalted. And if we exalt ourselves, we're humbled, right? There's a proverb. We know it all throughout our society. I'll start it, you finish it. Pride goes before a... Right, we know that. That's right out of the Bible. You exalt yourself and you end up humbled. it's just the reality so anyway take that same illustration you can take a really expensive picture frame the finest cherry the finest handcrafted frame it is beautiful it is glorious and you can frame it 
a piece of, you know, just garbage art in it that's just not worth anything. What happened to the value of that frame? You see, here's the reality. Whatever we worship in life will either elevate or detract from our worth. And the question is, really, this is the question that we're all faced with every day. What or whose picture is your life framing? It's the question we all have to deal with and ask all the time. What or whose life is your is, is your life framing? Whose picture? We believe, this is, we believe this from Scripture, that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith and trust in Him, when you acknowledge, when you acknowledge like Isaiah that you are ruined before God because you are a sinful person, that you have unclean lips and unclean hands and, and that yes, your, your life is ravaged by the evilness of, a, of, of the heart and God is so holy and we aren't. When you put your faith and trust in Christ and you are saved and, and, re, and, and, he, and he, you know, forgives you of your sin and allows you to go to heaven, we believe that you actually take on his identity, that his life becomes your life, that you are defined by him, that your life actually as a picture frame can frame the life of Christ. Most people think Jesus is a pretty good guy and just imagine that reality if people could look at you and say, boy, you remind me a lot of Jesus. That'd be, you want to know the truth? That's my goal in life. Where I go to work, whatever I do, I want people to look at me and say, boy, you, you remind me a lot of Jesus pretty tall order but you know what he's my identity and my life can frame him so the first thing the first thing here that we we can see that we might miss when we look at the glory of God is just how humble God really is the humility of God and one other thing one other example today and this is what we might miss out on Jesus helps us understand the proximity of God Jesus helps us understand how close God is, how near God is. He is so close to us. And, and the reality is, <clears throat> you ask a lot of people today and they would say, God seems kind of distant. He seems kind of out there. Remember that old song? It goes back to maybe the 90s. Remember Bette Midler? From a distant. How many heard of the song From a Distance? You know, and it's this picture of God that's somewhere out there and he's far and he's removed and he's just watching us kind of flounder around here on earth and there's all the suffering and all the pain and, and all the evilness and everything going on on earth and God is just kind of removed and detached from it all. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth and Jesus helps us understand that this God of incredible glory that Isaiah saw that just so consumed him that this God actually is very, very, very close. Jesus is not as distant as he sometimes feels. He's just not. Christmas is when God became flesh, when God came close. Yet why did Jesus come came close? He came, he came as a gift from the Father. Here's a verse we all know it pretty well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But you go on and it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God didn't send Jesus to condemn us and tell us how terrible we are. He, he sent Jesus to save us, to forgive us of our sins, to offer a, a pathway back into a relationship with that God of glory that Isaiah said, we can't look at this God. He is so amazing. In fact, verse 18, look at what verse 18 says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Jesus doesn't need to come and condemn you. If you don't know Christ, we're already condemned. We're already like Isaiah there saying, whoa, I'm ruined. I'm ruined standing before a holy, holy 
God. So Jesus was flesh and blood. He was God up close. He was the humility of God on display. He was the proximity of God in person. Here's the thing. After 33 plus years, Jesus went to the cross, resurrected from the grave, and then ascended into heaven. It could be easy to think that God is at a distance again, but he's not. In fact, that would be a terrible miscalculation. Consider this, at the end of his public ministry, at the end of his three plus years of public ministry, what happened to Jesus? He went to a cross and he hung on a cross and on that cross he took all of our sin and all of our suffering and all of our shame, all of our brokenness, all of our wickedness, all of our fleshliness, he took it all upon himself. And yes, Jesus drew even closer on the cross. Jesus is closer to us today because of the cross. On the cross, he knows what it feels like to be you. He knows what it feels like to go through the things we go through. Whether we're abandoned by someone, or we go through a divorce, or we go through a bankruptcy, or we go through, we lose a loved one, and all of those painful things that we go through, and Christmas just elevates all those painful things, right? Terrible time to have someone take their own life or to lose a father. But the reality is Jesus knows exactly what we feel and at the cross, he drew even closer. He took every, all of your ugliness on himself. He knows what it feels like to be you. That's the amazing thing. So Jesus helps us understand the proximity of God, how close God is. And, but let me tell you something. Can I tell you this? Surprise, Jesus is even closer today. Some might say, well, okay, 2,000 years ago he was on the earth and he walked the earth and he talked to the disciples and he taught the masses and he healed the sick and laid his hands on people and laughed with people and he was here physically. And, but he left 2,000 years ago. He's not that close today. Well, poor miscalculations here's the reality we believe jesus christ went to the cross and shed his blood because we are all ruined because we all have sin in our life and he forgives us of our sin and allows us to have a relationship with god but we believe something else the bible tells us something else jesus doesn't just didn't just die on the cross and forgive us from our sins the bible tells us that jesus rose from the grave resurrected to new life and when we trust him as his savior you know what He resurrects in our life. He comes to live in your life and my life. He's even closer today. No, I can't see him physically like the disciples could. And so the disciples would see him on and off. They'd have interactions with him on and off. Jesus lives right here in my heart, in your heart, in your life, every single day if you trust him as your Savior. That is how close he is. The glory of God that Isaiah said, whoa, I am ruined. Jesus reveals the glory of God within us. Think about that. Think about how amazing that is. Yes, Jesus walked the earth. He bore, Jesus even bore your sin and entered your suffering, but today he's even closer because he lives within us. When we respond to the gospel, Christ is raised to new life in us. He comes to live in us. He will walk through your life. He'll go to work with you every day. He'll go to school with you every day. He'll help you interact with those neighbors you can't get along with or the relatives you don't agree with or whatever, you know. He's just with you through everything you face 24 hours a day, 24-7. The baby in a manger grew up to be a man, die on a cross, resurrect from a grave. Also, he could live in you and live in me. Also, your life could be defined by his also that your life can frame his that's the reality let me leave you with one last beautiful reality do you know why all this works why this whole thing works that 
Christ can forgive us of our sins and Christ can come and live in us. You know why this all works? You know when Jesus hung on the cross, what he, was, what he said? There was something Jesus said on the cross. Now this is a paraphrase. This is kind of a summary of what he was saying because he said, there's seven final things he says as he hangs on the cross. But you want, you want to know Jesus was really saying in totality what he hung on the cross? Jesus was saying this. Woe is me, I am ruined. I am now a man of unclean lips and I am dying for a world of unclean lips and people. Think about this, the glory of God, that glory there that Isaiah witnessed back in Isaiah 6, the glory of God is hanging on the cross, taking on your sin, your suffering, your brokenness, your ugliness, your fleshly, taking it all on. And he hangs on the cross and like Isaiah, he says, woe is me, I am ruined. But here's the reality, the beautiful reality. Jesus was ruined before God so we could be restored to God. And he came out of the grave three days later and he, and he came back to life and he, and he comes to live in us and to restore us and to make us brand new and to make us what we once were. Back before Adam and Eve ever sinned in the garden, we can be just like Adam and Eve in the garden before we ever sinned. It's just as if we've never sinned if we put our faith and our trust in Christ. Can I tell you the greatest gift you can give yourself this Christmas if you have never done this? Say, yeah, I want you to be my savior. Stand before the cross, before the glory of God and acknowledge that you are ruined, that there is sin in your life, there is brokenness in your life. Things are messed up in your life. Sin messes things up, messes up our relationship, it messes up our finances, it messes up our emotional health, it messes up our mental health, it messes with everything about us, takes away our joy and our peace. We're ruined before God, but you know what we can say? you know what, I believe you went to the cross and were ruined for me. You took my sin on yourself on that cross. And I thank you for that and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to come in and be my savior. If you can do that, that's, that's all it takes. You don't gotta come down front. You don't, just in the privacy of your heart, you can say, yes, I want you to be my savior. I wanna, I wanna give you a chance with my life because man, my life's really been difficult for some time. That is the beauty. Best Christmas gift that you can give yourself. Jesus is the glory of God revealed in the frailty of human flesh so as not to ruin us. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I just pray if there's anybody here today, right now where they're at, that they will just in the quietness of this moment, in the silence of their own heart, in their own life, that they will just uh, acknowledge, acknowledge their sin. Acknowledge that, yes, they've been ruined by sin and they're ruined before you, but you have come to restore them and that they would cry out to you and receive your forgiveness today. They would receive your life and they would just, just, just turn things over to you and give you an opportunity to show them how wonderful life can be. And for all of us in this room today, Lord, may we just stop and ask the question, who or what is my, what picture is my life framing? I, I, I got a picture frame here. Is my life framing myself? Is it all about me? If it's all about me, that's gonna be a miserable life. It just is. And we'll be humbled. We exalt ourselves and we're humbled and we're knocked down and life is just not all that it can be. But if we 
exalt you. If we're humble before you and exalt you, then you will exalt us. Whose or what picture is my life framing? Challenge us all with that today and remind us, Lord, today just how close you are. In Jesus' name, amen.